Well, hey everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. You're trying so hard if, to keep that pace. If you would like to follow along, <laughs> you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Let's Read the Bible Together reading plan. We also have that plan available on our website, grove.church. Sorry, it was off the side. <laughs> Just kidding. No. Uh, it, it's funny because I feel like we're going to go in spurts where we open up a little differently for a little bit, then we'll get back into the you rhythm know. where it's, well, hey, everybody, welcome to another, anyways, it's nice to mix uh, it up. we love to take time as much as we can week over week to answer questions that you may have, uh, and we'll love for you to send in those questions, uh, whether it's as you're listening along, maybe it's something we said, um, or maybe you want to see me in the lobby if you attend our church in person and call me out for saying the word rebuttaling when it should have been rebutting. Uh, thank you, Josh Nysinger and uh, Kathy Ramsey. Oh, two people have done I got now. called out twice by wow. that. So I'm going to repent online here. Uh, I've said rebuttaling. It's apparently not a word, but one day it'll show up in the dictionary and then I'll be proven right. So, uh, but I'm just kidding. You could totally send in questions uh, back to my actual point. Uh, you can send us with questions two ways. One is an email uh, at infogrove.church, or you can direct message our Facebook page. We are the Grove Church in Washington State. Uh, and we'd love for you to send in those questions. Because we really do enjoy it. I think there's been a, a lot of fun ones lately. So mm-hmm. thank you for those of you who have sent in questions. Uh, and I would say keep it up because we enjoy as much as we can taking time for those. It's true. We won't be having any questions this week or next week because full disclosure. Well, why not next week? We have a, uh, we have a massive <laughs> event coming up. So we've been uh, we've been having to put in a bunch of work yeah, for we that. Do, so. We do an incredible thing uh, that I've been a part of for a lot of years called iHeart. So that's actually happening next week. Uh, and so we're trying to... Be as studious as we can to get through what we need to get through. So, but we will forgive not, us, dear listener, in the words true. of Evan. But we will not leave you, beloved listener, dear listener, with Nor no episodes. You. So <laughs> we will always be here. Um, uh, so this we'll week, try to be. this week we are getting into the book of Kings. So this is First and Second Kings. Um, just like Samuel, these are it's supposed to be one continuous narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just divided over because of length. So that's why we'll talk about Kings, um, and we'll also refer to Chronicles the same way. And it pretty much this is. Other than like, I think we're doing one psalm this week, and then next yeah. week is all. So the, we're we're gonna be just in Kings for Histor- a while. Here. History guys, we're gonna be in history. I hope, I, I hope like history class. If you don't, it's still scriptural, so you should still stay engaged. Yeah, I think that <laughs> the history books are a really nice reprieve from you know the prophetic books can be a little bit harder to read. The the wisdom literature in, in parts can be hard to read. The narratives of Kings and Chronicles is pretty much straight up. Here's what happened. Yeah, for the most part. For the most part. There's a few spots. Yeah. Uh, so the book of Kings picks up right where Samuel left off, and it follows the kings of both Israel and Judah, respectively, until they fall to the Assyrian and Babylonian empires also, respectively. Uh, while the book is anonymous, there is some evidence and tradition that the prophet Jeremiah compiled this narrative, which Ooh. I, yeah, I didn't know that there was some, I, I think I'd heard that, but I always forget about that. So again, not like in stone concrete, yeah. but there is speculation that it's Jeremiah. Um, and I forgot to mention this last time, but there's speculation that Nathan wrote much of Samuel, which is kind of nifty. So the idea is that Samuel wrote his history and much of the history of Saul, and then Nathan kind of takes over from the spot where you see, and then Samuel died. It's funny, you would have expected a little more from Samuel then, since he wrote it. Anyways. Yeah. What do you, you know? I'm just kidding. Some, some humility, I suppose. I'm just kidding. Uh, and then, so Kings starts off with uh, King David as an old man. It's not the most flattering picture of the guy. So we were long His flattery happened in First Samuel. Let's just be yeah, honest. Yeah, long gone is the uh, is the 
you know, righteous young King David who is leading Israel. Right now we've just got kind of old man David. Um, we're told that he's having trouble keeping warm. And so there's a young woman who is brought in to, uh, quote, keep him warm, unquote. Um, and yeah, it's just a whole weird thing. And then as evidence of old age, we are told that Nate, that David, uh, quote, knew her not, unquote. So basically it, from what it seems to be here is that they, they definitely brought in like a young servant girl to, uh, you know, sexually please the king, I guess is the way to put that. And then the king is so old that he's like, I'm good is kind of what happens there. So at least that's how I interpret it. It could also be, I guess it could be like a statement of honor there as well, but I kind of read it as it's just showing how old and decrepit King David is. Oh, and I point. read it the opposite way. Do you? Okay. I read it as if, it, cause, cause in scripture, there's oftentimes when he says he, they, they knew one another, there was the implication of sex. Right. And so when it says a statement that he knew her not like explicitly that way, I would assume that it was, uh, purely platonic, if I can say so. That. I, so I think that I think that the relationship was platonic. I guess my point was I think I think the he knew her not statement is there more as a token of his age as opposed to his like oh. honor and character there. But maybe I don't, again, maybe I just have a really low opinion of David. I don't know. But if, here's the deal: <laughs> if the guy has a vice, it's lust. So I don't really I don't really give him a, that much of a benefit of the doubt with it. I suppose I shouldn't say if the guy has a vice; he clearly has a vice, yes, and that was clearly true. what it was. Um, anyway, so but I also I also oh. take a higher view, uh, not not a higher view of you, but I take the 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 hopeful side of it. Oftentimes, I find yeah. that. So, anyways, either way, not, yeah, not that that's like a massively important. He's being thing. kept warm. Yep. So, no matter, <laughs> regardless, he's being kept warm. Um, and she will come up later. We'll we'll talk about her in a little bit. Uh, because David is so close to the end, we see some palace intrigue as to who will become the next king. Um, and this is kind of unique among Israel, as we get the idea that with uh, with some of the kings, they are able to choose their heirs from among their sons. So it's not necessarily that the firstborn son is going to be the one who who inherits. Um, and so Adonijah is the first son to put himself forward. And then we are told that he has Joab and Abiathar who are with him. So Joab, you'll remember, is just kind of, he's David's second in command most of the time. Yeah. Um, and that when he's not, you know, backstabbing and murdering people, Joab's kind of a piece of work. But, uh, and then Abiathar is the high priest. And so there's that whole thing. And then Benaiah and Nathan, among others, others I didn't list them all, uh, they were not with Adonijah. So Adonijah is kind of making the move to make himself king. And he has Joab and Abiathar who are his two main allies in this. Uh, so Adonijah declares himself king and David does nothing to stop this because again, David's just old. He's just super old at this point. Uh, we are told that David had previously promised so, uh, that Solomon would be his heir. So Bathsheba and Nathan, Bathsheba being Solomon's mother, uh, go to David and confront him about this. And so David's like, you're right. Solomon is anointed king. And then he's anointed king in the middle of a party that Adonijah is having. <laughs> yes. um, so awkward. <laughs> and then, yep. Uh, and so when, and so that whole, that whole thing happens and they're kind of like, oh, oh crap. Okay. So it becomes clear. Okay. Solomon is going to be the king, not Adonijah. And Adonijah's like, well, shoot, I threw this party for Wait nothing. A minute. And then Joab's like, oh man, I hope this doesn't come back to bite me. Uh, so David is about to die and he summons Solomon to give him some final parting advice. Um, this is, 
Well, we'll talk about it after we read it. It's a little bit weird, listeners, but let's let's read. So this is in 1 Kings chapter 2. It says, When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man, and keep charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and whatever you turn, and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness and all with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Okay. So, hey, that's some good advice right yeah, there. Great. Yeah. Thank follow, you, David. Follow the Lord. Okay. Obey what he says. Yep. Loving and it. And you'll be golden. All right. Now let's continue on with his advice. He says, moreover, you know what Zoab, so Zoab, what Joab, the son of Zeruiah did to me and how he dealt with two commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner, the son of Ner and Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed. Well, I mean, yeah, fact check true there. Uh, avenging in time of peace for blood that had been shed in war and putting the blood of the war on the belt across his waist and on the sandals of his feet. Act therefore according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down into Sheol in peace. Oh, snap. So basically it's, when he says act according to your, he's basically, hey, Solomon, you know, be wise about this. Also, uh, he should not die peacefully is kind of David's thing. Hey, you're king, but make sure this happens. Yeah, make sure I want Joab to die and know that he is dying. So that's a little bit dark, but all right. Uh, but deal loyally with the sons of uh, Berezili the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For such loyalty they met when I fled from Absalom, your brother. Well, that's nice. There you go. Uh, and there's also with you Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite from Barum, who cursed me with a grievous curse on the day that I went to Manaheim. But when he came down to meet me at Jordan, I swore an oath to the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless. You are a wise man. <laughs> you will know what you ought to do to him, and you shall bring his gray head down with blood to Sheol. So basically, he's like, hey, there's this guy. He insulted me, um, but I swore I wouldn't hurt him. So, so you get to do it. Yeah, I need you to hurt him. Okay, Solomon, I need you to kill him, is basically what David's thing here. So, okay, cool, David. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, and then David slept with his fathers. That's <laughs> so the- Sweet. I don't know if those are the actual last words of David, but that's, uh, I mean, again, you can, it depends on whether you interpret that psalm as the actual last words or if it's just something he penned to be his kind of official last words. But it says, then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. And you'll see this refrain all throughout Kings mm-hmm. is at the, when the, when a king dies, they're going to give you a really quick recap at the end that's going to t- kind of tell you how many years they reigned um, and usually whether or not they sucked, um, which is like in uh, – sorry, I almost made Aaron do a spit take there. Um, but – and uh, with most of the kings of Israel – well, all the kings of Israel are the worst. Most of the kings of Judah are terrible. There's a few, and we'll talk about a few of them, but most of them are just real, real rotten. Um, okay. So Solomon becomes king and he he begins a purge of all of his enemies. Um this is a really weird the depending on the interpretation this is a really weird section of scripture because mm-hmm. some people I I tend to land on the camp that this is not a good thing um other people land on the camp of like you know David commands it like this is something that's blessed by God um I think no matter where you land on it though it shows that again these are not m- modern people with modern sensibilities I guess is the way to put it a lot of times we can try to 
bring David and Solomon into our world and look at it through that lens. When we, we always need to remind ourselves, we need to go back and look at their world. And what they are is essentially, again, like I think I said this a few weeks ago, but what we would call David today, if he was around, would he was, he was a warlord is kind of his whole deal. And that's what they are. These are feudal kings, they're warlords in this area, and they are constantly vying for power and constantly overthrowing one another. So Solomon is, he's taking care of his enemies. Um, and then I, I put, this is interestingly the opposite of what David did when he became king, um, at least when it came. So there's people who directly, like they raised up armies to fight David. So obviously he, like mm-hmm. Ishbosheth, he put him down. Um, but for the most part, David, like we remember that Abner is the commander of Saul's armies and David spares him. It's Joab who kills him. Um, and, and David is clearly mad about that. That's one of the reasons he wants Joab killed. Um, and for the most part, David deals pretty well with his enemies. Um, as his reign goes on, we'll see he kind of gets rid of them, some of them. But his advice to Solomon is essentially, don't do what I did, just take him out right now. <laughs> uh, so yeah, what are you going to do? Um, and then Adonijah seems to make one last uh, power play. So he marries David's la- – or he I can't remember if he actually marries or if he just asks permission. Um, but he, he wants to marry – her name is Abishag, which is just a real bummer of a name. But she's apparently like – she was David's servant that kept him warm. Uh, and apparently she was like, oh. yeah, apparently she was really beautiful. Um, so the reason that this is kind of a power play is it's seen as one of the king's concubines. Essentially, he would marry her and then that he would always have that connection to David and he could put himself forward to maybe overthrow Solomon at one point. Um, Solomon is furious. And then this is going to be a theme with the rest of this section. Uh, he commands Benaiah to kill him, which he does. So Solomon doesn't do any of the killing himself. Uh, he is not a warrior like his father, David. But Benaiah of line killing fame is going to be the one doing a lot of the dirty work here. Yeah. Let's go. All right. Uh, Abiathar the priest is removed from his post. Luckily, he's not killed. So, hey, I guess there's that's, that's nice. a little less bloodshed. Uh, but then Joab, Solomon takes his father's advice and he orders Benaiah to kill him. Uh, Joab runs to the altar of the tent of Yahweh, which is like, you know, the, it's the precursor to the temple. Joab hangs off of the altar. Um, and so Benaiah comes back to Solomon. He's like, hey, Joab's hanging out the altar and we're commanded not to kill people at the altar. And jo- and Solomon's like, ah, just, you know, do it anyway. Um, which again is kind of up for interpretation. I, t- I, I, I tend to have a really negative view of this whole purge. I think of this as one of the indicators that Solomon is not going to be as great as David. And then also... I, I, the more the more I think about it, the more I really do view Samuel and Kings as the continual. I, I, try, I can't think of the right way to phrase it, but it's, it's Israel becoming more and more like the nations around them. They're becoming mm. less and less unique and set apart, like they were in Judges, where they yeah. were unlike any of the nations around them. And the, as Samuel and Kings go on, they just become more. But so by by the end of it, Judah and Israel are essentially unrecognizable from Moab and Edom and all of those places. True. So I think that's what we're seeing here is that Solomon is being like those other kings. Um, sorry. So anyways, so yeah, Benaiah goes and he kills him there. Uh, and then we see that Solomon makes a marriage alliance with the Pharaoh of Egypt. And so he marries an Egyptian princess. And so that's going to... Hey, good job, dum-dum. Yeah. Well, uh, well, I mean, you know, if she converted or something, that'd be cool, I guess. <laughs> if she was like, hey, maybe I'll worship the one true God. No such thing as conversion back then. Oh man, this is a real... Yeah. We'll see. Solomon, If again, if... if like I said, if David has a vice, it's lost. <laughs> if Solomon, <laughs> Solomon just takes that to the... Extreme. Uh, But we'll get into that here in a little bit, listeners. Uh, And then he also, we're told that he makes sacrifices at the high places instead of at the altar, Um, which is, so the high places are really interesting. You're going to see these pop up all throughout Kings and they've even been beforehand. What, so the, the people of Israel are commanded in the law of Moses, you sacrifice at the altar. 
of the Lord. And so right now that's in the tent of meeting. Eventually that will be at the temple. Um, You are not supposed to do these sacrifices in other places, and yet they do them. And it's kind of this weird halfway point where sacrificing to, to God at the high places is not as wicked as sacrificing to idols, we'll call it. But it is kind of this weird half step where you see people kind of, they they do that and then it devolves into something worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and it reminds me of, it's, uh, is it Dan? The, no, not Dan. What's the tribe that goes east? That I can't remember. Sorry, guys. Uh, the, it's Manasseh, it's East Manasseh, and is it Gad and Reuben, I think, are the tribes that go east? But anyway, we talked about, sorry, guys, we talked about this, and gals, sorry, listeners, beloved listeners. Um we talked about this a few weeks ago, but remember, they're afraid that they will be forgotten. And so they build a replica altar mm-hmm. and everyone is mad on the West side because they're they're afraid that they're going to sacrifice at that altar instead. So this is kind of what's happening here. These high places are beginning to pop up. And we see that, again, they're forgetting the law of Moses. They're forgetting those things that that generation of Joshua and Caleb, or at least the generation that they led, uh, they're going farther and farther away from that. Uh, and then finally, we are told that Yahweh visits Solomon in a dream. And this is one of the more famous Solomon stories. Uh, and when you're a kid, you know, it's funny when you're a kid, I feel like you learn about Solomon and you only learn about the good things because like, oh, he's a really wise king and he's super cool. And you don't learn about the 700 wives and 300 concubines. <laughs> well, because as a kid, you shouldn't know about those Yeah, things. you shouldn't. But like, I, I, any Sunday school teacher is going to teach us, the, the kids about Solomon and his wives no, and it's concubines. Tr- it's true. You should I, not be teaching kids. Here's my point, I guess. I feel like I was betrayed when I became older and I learned more <laughs> about Solomon. I'm like, oh, this guy is Wait like, this guy is like not a good king at all. He's, He's kind of a, a jerk. Bag. Yeah. Whereas most of the biblical characters like David, obviously you don't learn about David and Bathsheba in like, you know, first grade Sunday school class, but you know, he's still like a good guy for the most part. Solomon's kind of, I mean, he's not, he's not the worst. There's definitely worse Kings out there, but he's definitely not as nice as the Sunday school picture of him is, I guess is the way to put it. It's almost as if we should do like a rating system for Kings. Ah, but those are good. Ratings. I guess we, I mean, honestly, we're in Kings, so we can talk, we'll talk about this ranking system once we get into the other Kings here. Uh, if you haven't listened for a long time, you're in for a treat. Yeah, if, you're fa- if you're fairly new to the podcast, we, uh, we, Evan more than me has a ranking system that I chime in every now and then. Anyways, there you go. Side note. So sorry, Yahweh visits Solomon in a dream. He asks him, hey, what do you want? I will give you anything essentially out of a show of respect to David. And so Solomon asked for wisdom, which God is greatly impressed with. And so he says this in chapter three, uh, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has ever been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David, then I will lengthen your days. So, well done, Solomon. Yeah, this is yeah, this is Solomon's bright point. My, it's not his only bright point, but boy, it's close (laughs) to it. It's probably the brightest point. Yeah, I would. Yeah, the temple being built is cool too. Although, again, I would kind of. That's part of Israel becoming like the other nations, but it's a, you know, it's a cool temple. Uh, sorry, that's a weird way to describe it. It's a cool temple, you know, as yeah, if I've it's, seen it's it. It's all right. Um, so yeah, and we also get this idea that Solomon is going to be the wisest king that Israel ever has, which is which is played out to be true. Um, he is also going to be the wealthiest king that Israel have, ever has, which is true. Solomon's reign, especially if you're opening up a history book, is essentially the golden age of Israel. If David is 
conquering all of the land and getting it set up. Solomon is that, you know, James Monroe period of just prosperity and mm-hmm. everything's going pretty well. So that was a little American history reference for you guys. But for those of you who are history buffs, yeah, unlike you know, me. James Monroe is known as like, he's a really good president, but it's boring because nothing happened when he was president because everything was kind of going pretty well. Um, and then he says, if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked and I will lengthen your days. Um, well, Solomon lives pretty long, but he does not necessarily walk in the Lord's ways. Uh, so we what? get our first taste of Solomon's wisdom. This is another really famous Solomon story. Uh, there's two women and they both claim to be the father of a baby. And so there's a baby. Correction, mother of a baby. Oh, yeah, mother. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and so uh, these two women are claiming to be the mother of a baby. And so there's one child that had died and one child who is alive. And both women claim that the that the dead child belongs to the other woman and that the alive child belongs to them. Uh, Solomon, in his wisdom, is like, okay, well, here's what we do. I can't decide. And so we're just going to cut the baby in half. And one of you can have one half and one of you can have the other half. And the one lady is like, fine, fine with me. And the other lady is like, no, please just let her have it. And so Solomon understands that, oh, the, the mother Ooh. who actually cared about about the life of her son is the is the true mother. So, ha. fancy, good, good wisdom, Solomon. Good wisdom. Golf clap. And ch- oh, sorry. Uh, in chapter four, <laughs> we are told about Solomon's court. So we're gonna. It's kind of just interesting because some of the people who are in there. So, um, Azariah, the son of Zadok, is the high priest, which is weird because Zadok is loyal to Solomon, and he's the father, and he's still alive, but he's not the high priest. So maybe he did something to, uh, you know make Solomon mad. Uh, maybe Solomon likes, you know, some younger advisors instead of some older advisors. Maybe he's, you know, we'll see that a little bit later. I don't know, but that's the whole thing. Uh, and then Zadok and Abiathar are also priests, which is interesting because uh, Abiathar had been removed. Remember, he sided yep. with Adonijah. And so a couple chapters later, he's back. So, okay, apparently Solomon can forgive. So that's nice. And when he doesn't kill you, yeah, right. He, he's capable of forgiveness. Uh, and then Benaiah is also made the head of the army, which I mean, yeah, that, I mean, that checks out. That seems like he's basically Solomon's Joab, except, you know, not as better. Yeah. Except not just, you know, backstabbing and murdering everybody. Uh, and then the next chapters, this is honestly just, it's just a list of how prosperous Solomon's reign was. And it's the preparations for Solomon's, at least his greatest accomplishment, which would be the building of the temple. Uh, the temple began 480 years after the Exodus took place, which is showing, that's just how, that's just showing how long the people of Israel have been in the land and how many generations have gone by. Um, again, 480 years is more than, it's not more than double. It's almost double the amount of time that the U.S. has been around. So it's been a it's been a really long time that the people of Israel are have been back in the land. Uh, after seven years, it is finished, and then Solomon builds himself a palace, which took thirteen years to finish. Um, so I mean, you can read into that if you want to. That his palace <laughs> took twice as long to finish as the temple. Um, but you know, the temple still he was wise, bro. He was very yeah, wise. You know, the temple's still really nice, though. Uh, the rest of chapter seven deals with the uh, extravagance of Solomon's buildings. I mean, you can just read it and you can just see like, I've, so so me and Ashley, we went to, um, we, we got a chance to go to Europe like a few months ago. Ashley's his wife. Just sorry, so my wife knows. is Ashley. Um, and I remember the first time we walked into a cathedral in, um, it was in Venice and we looked up and it was, it's, it's just like gold. It's insane. And you're looking at it and you're like, cause you know, when you're in the U S there's nothing old here really. And, and, and yeah, not old, like Europe and the old buildings are not grand. And so like seeing that it's kind of like, it, it takes me 
when I was reading through the description of like the temple and the palaces, it it brought me back to that moment of just being in awe and looking up and just being impressed by the beauty and and majesty of a building. So I kind of I that's what I have in my head. If that's helpful for you listeners, I don't know. I can um, totally see it. You can just, just <laughs> picture it in your mind. Uh, chapter eight takes us to the ark being brought into the temple, which is, of course, that's a massive deal. That is where the ark is going to stay for a very long time. Uh, and then we see Solomon being a good king. He leads his people towards Yahweh in these moments. He's encouraging them to worship. He's dedicating the temple. This is Solomon is he and maybe I maybe I saw him a little bit short. Solomon is a good king for a while, and then it just kind of goes downhill really fast. Um, as the years go by, Israel grows more and more prosperous, and it kind of all culminates like the high point of his reign is this visit from the Queen of Sheba, um, and she is so impressed by Solomon. Like she just thinks he's so wise. This kingdom is so amazing that she just adds even more treasure into Israel's coffers. So it's a cool, it's a cool moment, um, and you just get this idea that Israel is a major player in the region. Solomon is an incredibly well respected king. Uh, and then in chapter 11, uh, we see his, I, I put his fall into apostasy, but just kind of, it's a real, yeah. It's not a good, it's not a good look. Nope. Um, like his father, he had a, weak, a weakness for the ladies um, and to a much greater extreme. David had, I, I don't have it off the top of my head, but I think he has six, six or seven wives, if I remember sure. correctly. It was it was in the single digits. At yeah, least. it was less than 10. Yeah. Uh, Solomon has over 700 wives. <laughs> and 700. He did, you heard that right. Oh my gosh. And 300 concubines. And so and it's so over a thousand women that he is in intimate relationships with. Um I mean, yeah, it's count. I mean, it's not actually countless, but it's it's close to countless. Um, and then he also makes compromises to worship their gods, and this is including Molech, who is uh, Evans' faith. Oh my gosh! So Molech is also here's the deal: all the false gods are bad. It's not they're good. Horrible. Yeah, they're horrible. Molech is the one that also demands child sacrifice. So it's basically, in my mind, you get an extra strike if you're worshiping <laughs> Molech. Um, like it's a sin and it's wretched to worship Baal. Like no one should be worshiped above Yahweh. No one should be worshiped above the one tr- true God. Um, but if you're going to commit idolatry, at least don't kill your kids. That's kind of my, <laughs> that's my stance on it. But yeah. So, and God is, uh, he's understandably, he's, pr- he's pretty annoyed by this. Uh, he's not feeling it. And so in chapter 11, we see... And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, which is also an important point That's there. so crazy to me. Well, yeah, because he's saying like, this isn't just, you know, I serve the Lord and the prophets talk to me once in a while. This is like, no, Yahweh himself has appeared to you twice and you're going to go worship Molech. Come on, Solomon. <sighs> and he commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. And so Solomon has has gone so poorly that literally if it was not for the promise that God made to David, he would have just ended his dynasty right there. Um, and we'll see this with Israel, with the, with the kings. So also for clarity, when I say Israel moving forward, that's going to be referring to the Northern kingdom. And then Judah is going to be the Southern kingdom. It's a little bit confusing, but it is, especially as you get into the second Kings portion, which we'll get into next week, but yeah. uh, it, it's going to be tricky to make sure you're remembering those when you're reading. Yeah. 
the the kingdoms of the kings of Israel are a part of a ton of dynasties. And what a dynasty means, you know, father to son to son to son, and then it'll end, and then a, someone else will take over who's not a part of the family. Mm-hmm. In the kingdom of Judah, that is not that is not the case. God keeps his promise, and the line of David goes all the way through all of the kings of Judah, all the way through exile, all the way to Jesus. Jesus is a descendant of of David. Um, in Israel, because that promise doesn't happen, once a king makes God angry enough, he essentially just ends that dynastic line. Uh, with Solomon, It's it seems clear to me, at least, that that is what God wants to do, um, but he will not do it, again, because he has made this promise. And I, I want to be careful with how I say it, because obviously, like, the way that God experiences emotion is not the same way as ours. It's not like he's like, I don't know. Basically, the whole idea, though, he's angry enough to where if there wasn't this covenant in place, Solomon would have just, his dynasty would have ended right there. Uh, and yeah, the rest of the reign of Solomon is characterized by God raising up enemies. So there's kind of this period of war. So we see that golden age that crested at the visit of the Queen of Sheba is starting to decline. And then finally he dies and his son Rehoboam takes his place. And Rehoboam, uh, he does not have the gift of wisdom that his father has. He's a, he's a bit of a knucklehead. And so, I mean, honestly, he's, <laughs> a, he's a massive knucklehead. Um, yeah, so Rehoboam manages to make all the people hate him, all the people of Israel hate him just immediately. Like he doesn't even, he doesn't waste any time. Uh, he has all these old wise advisors who were, you know, in Solomon's court. And he's like, hey, that's cool. Um, but I'm going to replace you with all young men who uh, will just tell me how awesome I am. And he, he then he pulls this move. Uh, so I'm going to read in chapter 12. And this is uh, Jeroboam, by the way, is one of the servants of uh, Solomon and therefore a servant of Rehoboam. It says, and Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king said, come to me again on the third day. And the king answered his people harshly and forsaking the counsel of the old men that had given him, he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men saying, so really quick, he had his old men. He's like, Hey, listen, Rehoboam, you're new to being king. You should be, you know, just gentle with the people. Let them know that you're going to love them. Let them know that you're going to be a good king. And his young men were like, "Who? listen, these people, come on, who cares about them? Rehoboam is weighing that, that advice. And this is what he says. He says, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. Oh, my thanks. my father disciplined you with whips, but I with scorpions. Sweet. Oh my gosh, Rehoboam. And so the king did not listen to the people for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord spoke by Ahijah, the Shilonite to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And so Jeroboam essentially leads a revolt um, and he takes the northern 10 tribes of Israel and forms the kingdom of Israel with the capital city of Samaria. And then Rehoboam rules over the kingdom of Judah with the capital of Jerusalem. And from this point on, the nations of Israel will not reunite until I think the period of, I I shouldn't say that. I think in the the exilic period, I guess they are reunited, I suppose. Although it's mostly all that's taking place in Jerusalem. So it's going to be centuries is my point here. Um, And here's the thing, Jeroboam, you might be thinking to yourself, well, Rehoboam sucked, but you know, Jeroboam, he could be a good king. (laughs) Nope, that's that's not how that works. And so he immediately, he commands his people to no longer sacrifice in Jerusalem. Because again, what's that rule? You're only supposed to sacrifice at the altar of the Lord. Jeroboam's like, well, if they do that, they're going to like Judah and, and, you know, in Jerusalem, I can't do that. And so he, yeah, he essentially issues a command. Hey, you know, that law of Moses, don't obey that anymore. We're going to make new altars up here. Uh, And so, yeah, a prophecy is issued soon after um, that there will be a king named Josiah who will eventually destroy all of these high places, uh, which, you know, hey, 
We'll, Good job. We'll check in on that at the end of Second Kings. Uh, both Rehoboam and Jeroboam are just the worst, and they're also constantly at war. Jeroboam would reign for 22 years, while Rehoboam would reign for 18. Uh, so we, and then this is where it, Kings gets a little bit confusing because you're jumping back and forth in yeah. time. So it's kind of going. It's giving you the kings of both at the same time, but obviously, like. Well, we'll see what happens here. We'll, we'll kind of explain it. So uh, Rehoboam's son, uh, Abijam, takes over, and he is no better than his father. So after three years, he dies, and Asa, his son, becomes king. Uh, and he's actually pretty great. He's actually, he's actually a really good king, uh, which is unfortunately rare, but not as rare as it is in Israel. <laughs> so That's true. Uh, Asa reigned for 41 years. And Yay. so this is that, and this is what I want you to keep in mind, because you're going to read about the reign of Asa, and then you're going to read about all these kings of Israel, and almost all of this is taking place during the reign of Asa. Yep. So, and the, you, you kind of see this theme where when there's a good king, they tend to rule for a while. Um, rest in peace, Josiah. But for the most part, they reign for a while. And then if there's an evil king, they tend to churn pretty quickly. Um, not Again, that's not universally the case, but yeah. it's the case often. Uh, so during Asa's reign, we see Jeroboam's son Nadab take over. Uh, two years later, Basha of Issachar assassinates the king and takes over. So, <laughs> so Jeroboam's dynasty ends after two uh, I mean, I, I would say it's a bummer, but, you know, they're just, they're the they're worst. The worst. Uh, but, you know, the, the the kind of guy who assassinates the king and takes over, he's probably not going to be a very good king, which is true. So Basha, uh, his son Elah takes over after he dies and not long, not for long, though, because he is murdered by Zimri. So that dynasty lasts for two kings as well, uh, who also destroys Elah's family and ends that dynasty. Zimri is king for all of seven days. Hey. <laughs> not, not, not even wah, years. Wah. Uh, and he is deposed by Omri, who is the leader of the army. So Omri's – and again, just keep in mind, all of this is happening in the reign of Asa, just this massive, massive turn, uh, turnover. Uh, so he's assassinated by Omri. Omri's death um, finally brings us to Ahab, and Ahab is going to be a king who reigns for a while, not because he's a good king. Uh, and he's going to be – I would say, is he the most famous king of Israel, of the northern kingdom? I can't think of another one who really has the name recognition of Ahab, so – Maybe we'll be reading through Kings and I'll be like, oh, duh, this guy. But for now, yeah. for now, I think it's Ahab. Uh, and he's not, yeah, he's not famous for the right reasons. listeners. So we are going to talk about him more next week when we get into the rest of First Kings. That's called stay tuned. Stay tuned. Uh, but before we jump into our one and only Psalm this week, we do want to remind you to leave us a five-star review, uh, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, uh, which there's been a lot of people actually. We yeah, get to see absolutely. the back-end data and that those groups continuously kind of engulf the rest, which is interesting. Yeah. But uh, your reviews really do help. They help to get the podcast out there to more people. Um, they always appreciate it. And if you leave the writ a written review, we will read it on the podcast because, you know, that's just the kind of guys we are. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's been fun to see. I think over the last week or so, we've seen probably three or for uh, maybe even five uh, Spotify ratings jump in there. So thank you for that. And also there's been, I think, three that has happened over the course uh, of uh, Apple Podcasts. So uh, Evan was lamenting the fact that we have 81 reviews right now on Apple Podcasts and 59 oh, yeah. on Spotify. He's like, too bad we can't transfer one from the other. So we have an even 60-40. Uh, yeah. And I just laughed. But 80-60, um, but still. 80-60, sorry. Uh, I just laughed about it. But uh, yeah, we really do enjoy it. I, I, I personally have a goal where I'd love to see us hit 100, 100 reviews uh, by the end of the year. Uh, originally, it was Apple Podcasts, but Spotify has been blowing up. 
uh, since we really started this year. And so sure. now my goal is to see both of them hit 100. So now it's a race to see who can get there first. So uh, if you haven't left us a review, do it. Sorry it took so long to highlight that, but it's just kind of fun to see that grow. So uh, as Evan said, we are only hitting one psalm this week. Uh, and so I'm going to do something I haven't done a lot of, or I don't think we've done a lot of in this podcast because typically there's multiple Psalms uh, or other books to explore. Uh, but since we're only hitting one Psalm and that's going to be the end of the episode, uh, I thought I'd take a little bit more time working through this Psalm. Uh, and as usual, I want to give you a little bit of the background, the context, some of the insights to the Psalm. This is a royal Psalm. Remember, a royal Psalm talks specifically about the line of David as king. Uh, and so this is a royal psalm that will celebrate the way that God has shown his love uh, to his people uh, by giving the Davidic monarchy, in other words, David's line as king, uh, and then preserving David through many dangers. It's almost identical to 1 Samuel 22, which is something David writes, a song that David writes. Uh, it's his personal expression uh, of gratitude to the Lord. Uh, but the psalm has been adapted uh, to become a song that everybody gets to sing uh, versus just David itself. Uh, and in essence, they sing it because their well-being is tied to David. So this would have happened during David's reign. Um when God's people sang it, they were to give thanks for the Davidic line. This is part of the, the purpose behind it uh, and to pray that its heirs, his heirs will be faithful to the Lord and be, would be valiant military leaders uh, because then Israel can carry out its God-given purpose of bringing light to the Gentiles, which I think is so important to remember that. Uh, part of God's initiation, part of God's uh, election of, of the Israelites is there's a purpose behind it. It's not to create a, a, his own people that he can totally just focus on, but he really does have a heart uh, to bring the hope and light to the Gentiles, which is non-Jews. Uh, and so that that's part of the hope. So even in this Psalm with David's line, there would be this reminder there. Uh, to quickly break down the Psalm for us, we see verses one through three uh, is the summary of the entire Psalm. The theme there is this idea that the Lord is my strength. Uh, you see in verses four to six that uh, it's David lament or confessing in my distress that I have prayed for you. Uh, and it takes verse three and amplifies it a bit um, where David describes a very specific danger that threatened to kill him. Uh, and so he calls out to God in the midst of that danger. Verses seven to 19, which is a section I want to read for us. Um, it's it's this picture of uh, God's marvelous rescue, the Lord's marvelous rescue. Uh, and it paints this picture of God sitting up like in this heavenly fortress, uh, seeing that David needs help and he acts quickly to provide the help. Uh, and I want to read this because I just think the 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 picture that it paints is so, uh, is so vibrant, if you will. Uh, but it says this in, in verses 7 to 19, it says, then the earth shook and quaked. The foundations of the mountain trembled. They shook because he burned with anger. Again, this is right after David calls out for help. And it's as if God sees him and he he's quickened to respond. Uh, so he burns with anger. His smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Coals were set ablaze by it. He bent the heavens and came down, total darkness beneath his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew, soaring on the wind's wings of the wind. He made darkness his hiding place, dark storm clouds his canopy around him. From the radiance of his presence, his cloud swept onward with hail and blazing coals. The Lord thundered from heaven. The Most High made his voice heard. He shot arrows and scattered them. He hurled lightning bolts and routed them. The depths of the sea became visible. The sea foundations of the world were exposed at your rebuke, Lord, at a blast of your breath of, in your nostrils. He reached down from the high on high and took hold of me. He pulled me out of deep water. He rescued me from my powerful enemy and those and from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out to a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. 
Uh, and so I just love the vivid. It's so vivid uh, to see the the awesome power, the 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 um, aura of who God is, and and that's what surrounds him. Uh, so it's just one of those compelling pictures that David paints. Um, so as this, as the, the the people of Israel would sing or, or recite this, they would be reminded of how powerful, how sovereign God was. Uh, and so it was, it's it's a very powerful picture. Uh, we see in verses 20 to 30, uh, we see this moment of David's claim of faithfulness, which I think is so funny because it can honestly be seen uh, almost arrogant or self-righteous uh, because he makes this claim uh, that he has kept the ways of the Lord faithfully and that God has rewarded him because of this. Now, this is even after uh, his the, his gravest moment of sin and killing uh, Uriah and and sleeping with Bathsheba and all of these things. Um, and, and so it makes, when he makes this claim that he has kept, uh, God's ways faithfully and God has rewarded him for that, um, it can be seen as arrogant, but I love, uh, what the ESV, uh, study Bible kind of breaks down. It says, um, it can be seen as arrogant, self-righteous, but two things here. One, it's taken directly from first Samuel 22, which is very clear about David's sin. So he's not skirting the issue that there was sin in his life or that he acted in sin, uh, and the second thing that it, it represents is the simple fact that it's the ways, the rules, and the statutes of the Lord, they include provisions for receiving forgiveness of sins, um, which shows that his claim, uh, that he held fast to life, his life of faith. And so when he when he makes a statement like Dave, his claim for faithfulness, where he's like, I've kept the way of the Lord and God has rewarded me, it's not in, in neglect or ignorance of the sin, but it's in recognition of God's forgiveness um, and God's reward for obedience in response and forgiveness, which I think is so cool and so and so powerful to remember uh, the, the, the mercy of God. Um, and so he, he continues on that thought with in verse 31 to 45, where he talks about God's mercy. He says, the Lord has given mercy. Um, and, and then he highlights that David's rescue came by way of his, his military prowess, which is in and of itself a gift from God. So I want to read this section because, um, again, it's, it's, it's a way that David responds to God's provision through the, the, the wisdom, the strategy, and the prowess that he has as a warrior. Uh, it says this in verse 31. It says, For who is God besides the Lord, and who is a rock? Only our God. God, he clothes me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes me my feet like the feet of a deer and sets me securely on the heights. He trains my hands for war. My arms can bend a bow of bronze, which is pretty strong. That's a strong bow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, he says, you've given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand upholds me and your humility exalts me. You make a spacious place beneath me for my steps and my ankles do not give way. I pursue my enemies and overtake them. I do not turn back until they are wiped out. I crush them and they cannot get up. They fall beneath my feet. You have clothed me with strength for battle. You subdue my adversaries beneath me. You have made my enemies retreat before me. I annihilate those who hate me. They cry for help, but there is no one to save them. They cry to the Lord, but he does not answer them. I pulverize them like the dust. See, this is why the CSB is better. Pulverizes is not in the ESB. That is a good word. I pulverize them like dust before the wind. I trample them like mud in the streets. You have freed me from the feuds among your people. You have appointed me the head of nations, a people I have not known serve me. Foreigners submit to me cringing. As soon as they hear, they obey me. Foreigners lose heart and come trembling with, from their fortifications. And now here's the thing. Is it's not David saying how great and mighty he is, but he's rejoicing in God's mercy and giving him the power, the authority, and, and 
in essence, causing fear in other people's eyes, maybe. Um, but he is re- re- he's reflecting on his life. He's reflecting on his 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 warlordness, if you will. Um, <laughs> but he's attributing to God's call, provision, and empowerment for him to do what, what he's able to do. The Lord has given him mercy, and the rescue that David has experienced comes because the Lord has given him a unique gift. Uh, and then we see in, in Psalm or in verse forty six to fifty as the Psalm wraps up. Uh, I told Evan at the very beginning that before we record, I was like, this psalm is massive. It's so long. Uh, I said, I want to read the whole thing, but I was like, nope, too many verses. Uh, but it's this idea that God is faithful to his anointed king. Uh, and it's just this moment where David stresses uh, his place of prominence has come from the Lord and not a product of his own greed or lust for power. Um, and even in some respects, in spite of himself, God, David reattaches his line, his call, his future uh, to God's call, to God, his provision, uh, and not to his own ability. Even though at times you can read these like, man, he was he was arrogant, but he attributed all that back to the Lord. And so, uh, so that Psalm 18 kind of is a, a unique way this week as we wrap up David's life and we've jumped into some other uh, moments of, of the Chronicles of the Kings, if you will, not to confuse books of the Bible, but um, that's kind of Psalm 18 and what we're going to read this week. Yeah. Well, I think that Psalm is also so, it's so important in just thinking about what we're reading about in the Kings, right? Because it's all about the idea that David's line is protected by the Lord. And we see, yeah. again, there's going to be some good Kings of Judah. There's going to be some bad Kings of Judah and the they're, they're going to stay in the same line specifically because of the promise that God made to David. So really cool there. Uh, but that does wrap it up for this week's episode of Let's Read the Bible. As a reminder, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of the Grove Church. You can find all of our other podcasts and resources on our website, grove.church. Um, and if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to financially contribute to the ministry that the Grove Church does, you can do that on our website as well. There's a gift button in the upper right-hand corner. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.